Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Safe Todd podcast series, July 2022. These podcasts are published on the Safe Todd's webpage and can also be found where podcasts are published. My name is Dr. Jacob Carlson. One of the key factors of providing high-quality care is ensuring adequate and uniform competency. In pediatric anesthesia, this relation is strongly related to outcome, something that has been shown in several recent studies. In practice, it's about getting the basics right and performing them to an exceptionally high standard. But performance at exceptionally high level requires regular practice, just like it would in any other sport, for example. This may sound relatively straightforward, but ensuring adequate and unvarying quality for all children undergoing anesthesia has turned out to be a complex task. In non-specialist centers, standardized basic training and regular case exposure is required, and for already specialized pediatric anesthetists, structure for continuing education and coaching is not just fully established. How to organize and potentially regulate this and find a suitable model of care on all level, is a key topic in pediatric anesthesia and something that has been the focus of attention lately, thanks to a variety of benchmark studies intended to identify risk factors in pediatric anesthesia. With me today to discuss this, uh, these questions is Professor Thomas Engelhardt. Dr. Engelhardt is the Professor of Pediatric Anesthesia at McGill University, Montreal, in Canada, as well as the Anesthetist-in-Chief at the Division of Pediatric Anesthesia at Montreal Children's Hospital and one of the original founders and members of the Safe Thoughts Initiative that we'll get back to. So I would like with the, to start with a historical perspective here, Tom. Um, when I started anesthetic training almost 17 years ago in a small district general hospital, uh, we were still doing pyloric stenosis and neonatal um, hernias. And even though the quality, uh, I must say, came across as uh, very good, my impression at that time was always that there was a general feel of unease amongst the whole theater staff when doing these cases. And some of the risk management strategy was quite frankly, completely dependent on that no complications would happen. And actually looking back, keeping your fingers crossed and hoping for the best, it's probably not an ideal way to deal with risk. How was it when you started your pediatric or general anesthetic training? Did you do you have any similar experiences? Well, yeah, thank you, Jacob. And uh, I can see exactly the point where you're coming from. And uh, fortunately, from my point of view, I started my anesthetic training in the UK and Scotland, and we had a dedicated pediatric uh, hospital itself. And there we were working along with pediatric trained uh, anesthetists uh, who more or less were full-time pediatric anesthetists and were supervising trainee and training um, of all the new incoming staff uh, and provided the best uh, period of care. So from that point of view, it was less crossing our fingers, even though some of the uh, aspects of pediatric anesthesia care very very tricky and very challenging but uh, I never really felt uh, at my point unsupervised or unease it was a luckily a dedicated pediatric uh, hospital where we first started and from that point of view I feel myself to be very lucky and privileged and that being said that was almost now 25 years ago as well Okay, so yeah, hopefully we've uh, moved on since then. Um, 
in in order to target some of the issues mentioned, uh, the Safe Tots initiative was founded to promote safety and quality in pediatric anesthesia. Since you were also involved in this process, um, could you give us a brief overview of the background and driving force uh, behind the Safe Tots initiative? Yeah, absolutely. And um, you see, beginning of uh, the 2000s, there was a new trend emerging in pediatric anesthesia. And there was a notion that uh, the anesthetic drugs rather than technique or the personnel are responsible for the negative outcomes in, in children. So rather than just crossing your fingers, uh, it was thought at that stage that um, the anesthetic drugs are mostly responsible. Now, while that's biologically plausible, we, uh, as a group from Safe Tots, found, felt very strongly that actually we're forgetting the basics. And the basics are really uh, what matters most uh, to the child. So on what is actually really good clinical practice. And that's why we set out rather than focusing on one aspect, one very small aspect of pediatric anesthesia care, just the drugs, it was the conduct of anesthesia that actually we thought mattered most to the child. And ultimately, that was a driving force to set up the Safe Tots uh, initiative. And that actually led us to where we are today. Okay. Um, Safe Tots early on coined the concept of the five W's. Um, do you mind just walking us through what this means? I mean, uh, again, the five W's, the five who, the who, the where, the what, when, and how, they all belong to the competence of the uh, anesthesia, the perioperative uh, care of the uh, of the perioperative anesthesia care that we try to deliver, and they are closely related to the fundamental and most important part of of what we're trying to achieve, which is to acknowledge and to adhere and always deliver to the rights of the child, 10 rights, so the best attainable standard of health care. So it matters who is delivering anesthesia, where we can uh, deliver anesthesia care, what do we do, when, with regards of timing, and how the, uh, the concept of the 10N that actually will further give you some direct clinical guidance of what really should be done and what are the basic uh, needs, basic principles of safe, pedi uh, safe pediatric anesthesia care. I think that's a brilliant principle and it makes absolute sense. Um, and um, I just want to expand a bit on one of the W's here, namely the who. Uh, one of the safe thoughts concept is to define who should deliver anesthesia to the pediatric patients, like you mentioned. Uh, now, in a tertiary specialist center, this should not be an issue, really, even if there are certainly challenges there as well, which I'm sure we'll get back to. But what about the situation commonly encountered in smaller hospitals, like the sample that I mentioned at the beginning? Uh, how do we ensure good quality pediatric anesthesia in situations and establishments like that? Yeah, that's a very good question, and probably one that is very, very urgently to be, be in need to be addressed. And uh, that is what we're trying to really achieve. How can we facilitate, how can we ensure that children who are not being anesthetized at a pediatric, a specialist pediatric hospital will receive the same high standard of perioperative anesthesia care? And uh, 
there is probably no very simple and easy answer to this one. However, it would be very advisable to concentrate these children on specific pediatric lists, have a small team within a bigger team of anesthetists uh, who care within particular anesthetic department, a small team of anesthetists and nurses with the required knowledge, skill, and a good hand for kids. They should really be focusing on have a small focus on these uh, on these children and have a very small dedicated team which deliver these kind of care. And that way, you'll be able to focus and concentrate your efforts and your expertise on those more vulnerable children. So rather than scheduling pediatric uh, patients on two to a simple urologist have a mix of anything from uh, a one-month-old neonate to a 105-year-old patient for uh, some sort of bladder resection. That shouldn't really be happening anymore. So it's much better to try and uh, do what's best for the patient by focusing, by concentrating the expertise on specific um, lists and specific environments and settings. And that way, by focusing, by concentrating the skills and expertise and the experience and also the confidence will undoubtedly improve. I think that's a very good point. Um, and I think it seems like regulating who, where, and how, like you said, would have a substantial impact on the quality of care, which pretty much makes sense. And, uh, of course, I take that there is also solid scientific evidence behind these uh, observations. I mean, maybe some from the apricot study, for instance. Yeah, absolutely. And apricot and nectarine. And uh, because we are also health conscious as pediatric anesthetists, we have uh, stuck to the fruit-based theme. Uh, so it's all very healthy to eat fruit, get your five a day. But joking aside, absolutely, there are some very good data that show that kids are more difficult to anesthetize. So the complications are higher, the morbidity and the mortality is higher when compared with adults. So the problem is ultimately that there are not enough children available that uh, the expertise and the knowledge and the skill set is available for every anesthetist all the way across. That means that we actually have to uh, focus our efforts and we have to concentrate our efforts to a smaller group, a smaller pool of paid, uh, of anesthetists who care for the children. So that ha- means we have to regionalize, we have to centralize uh, concentrating with the pediatric teams within a hospital and within areas. So yes, we have some very good solid data based on the apricot and nectarine study, which indicate exactly that. So there is some evidence, some very good evidence out there that suggests that pediatric anesthesia care uh, will improve with uh, repeated exposure and with a minimum caseload. Okay, so, uh, I mean, based on that, if we turn the attention then, we just spoke spoke about smaller hospital, but if we actually turn the attention to specialized hospital uh, where the situation is somewhat different, there I guess the challenge would be to ensure an equal level of care and a very high lowest performance level, if that makes sense. And if you look at the apricot study that you mentioned, uh, one of the interesting things about that study was that the number of years of experience of the anesthetist was almost inversely related to the number of adverse events, whereas the actual healthcare institution was not. So I guess caseload exposure, not surprisingly, is an important factor. But how do we ensure that the patient that do get sent to tertiary care centers uh, receive the highest level of care there as well? 
I mean, is there a role for coaching already trained pediatric anesthetists? Absolutely. And uh, it is an ongoing process. So pediatric anesthetists, once you're trained, once you have got your exams, once you've done your fellowship, uh, lifelong learning or the commitment to lifelong learning still exists. So you still have to update yourself. You still have to attend conferences. You have to practice simulation. You have to exchange your ideas and your skills and competences with your colleagues being within the hospital and with other hospitals as well. Yeah, absolutely. And from that point of view, it is very important that we create a continuous reporting of pediatric anesthesia outcome data to detect to detect early deviations in practice. So ideally, that would be fantastic, but we're not quite there yet. There are some very large um, pediatric databases, prospective data, uh, large uh, d- database analysis being set, currently set up, which hopefully will be able to address these ones. And ultimately, uh, what matters most, it needs to be v- visible to the patient what outcome we can expect or they can expect from the child following operation. And uh, ultimately, it should be their choice where they want to go to receive the best uh, specialist care. All right. I think that's very interesting. And uh, I think there is, like you said, there is also, uh, going back to the introduction, there is a role for coaching already trained pediatric anesthetists, definitely. And uh, I know that there are examples from our surgical colleagues in for instance, pediatric cardiac surgery that have been using the systems for many years. And I think there could be a reason for an overall encouragement for this also in pediatric anesthesia. So just to summarize, some kind of uniform and standardized anesthesia would be required so we could avoid situations that I ended up in almost 20 years ago. Um, hopefully that uh, changed a little bit. Um, just to wrap up the discussion of the day, uh, thank you so much, Tom, for this chat. One final question. If we want to know more about the Safe Thoughts Initiative um, and this pr- project, where can we find information about that? Uh, yeah, thanks. And uh, it's on the website. It's www.safethoughts.org. And uh, within that platform, within that website, you will find um, guidance, educational material, as well as uh, advice as how to improve your perioperative uh, care of the child and this please keep on coming back to this one because this is a process and uh, this is one of the earlier podcasts and at one stage i'm pretty sure this will be replaced by somebody more uh, experienced and more uh, updated uh, person at one stage but keep on referring to this one and get in touch with the people who are listed there they're all there to help and they're all there to support you um, as a, a clinician to provide the best uh, pediatric anesthesia care there is. Safe anesthesia for every child. <laughs>